All right. <laughs> Moving right along. So, I do need those for Valentine's Day. Noah's in the cage. Noah. How many of you have been watching some Olympics? Anybody been watching some Olympics? A little bit. A right, little I bit. I was watching little some bit. cross-country skiing today. Yeah? Ooh, that's riveting. Yeah. Not really. But uh, I was like, man, those guys are insane. <laughs> There's a, Thank you very much, buddy. All there's right. a lot of winter games that are riveting. Well, I like the guys that do the cross-country skiing and then shoot. Yeah. Yeah. Those guys, their heart rate, I was talking to our, our, the trainers today. They yeah? Their heart rate actually gets to 190 beats per minute, and then they hold their breath to take that shot. They were doing this big science. What? Yeah. That's intense. That's crazy. That's, that's crazy. That's crazy. crazy. Uh, so, but... Uh, did you happen to know there uh, were a few Olympic events that didn't quite make this Olympics? Really? Yeah. That didn't make it. Left out. So okay. I thought tonight our top ten should be top ten rejected sports for this Winter Olympics. Rejected. Right. These are some things that they thought okay. and then said no. So, so cross country stayed. Cross country stayed. Because stayed, stayed, but this said no. These right. said no. So curling stayed. But these said no. All right. Curling I, has I to stay. Curling, All right, curling has to stay. Number, number 10 rejected sport for the Winter Olympics is this synchronized snow angels. You know, just lay down. You got to get it going. You got to get it going. That'd be awesome. That's it? right. Yeah. Just yeah. be like synchronized swimming, but with snow. It'll be great. It'll be great. All right. There you go. There you go. All right. Number nine rejected winter sport is this, the 500-meter sidewalk shovel. Ooh. How Ooh. fast you can scoop. No. Sidewalk? No. No? No. You can't race not. doing that? I don't like doing that. <laughs> they could race with my yard. I would be happy to volunteer my Here, practice. Practice. Go right ahead. Olympic Training Center outside my house. Okay, here we go. Number eight rejected winter sport happens to be this snow cone eating contest. Yeah. Yeah. You got to power through it. You got to power through it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be awesome. He's getting to the... Can you imagine the, the, the announcers? Ladies and gentlemen, he's getting to the orange part of the snow cone. It's going to be... Okay, that'd be hilarious. All right. Here we go. Number seven rejected winter sport happens to be this. The metal pole licking. Yes. How long you can just no. be stuck to a pole? No, see, I, I think that was in a movie, wasn't it? Yes, it was. <laughs> yeah, and it didn't work well. That did not work well at all. <laughs> no. Maybe it's all about how far your tongue stretches before it snaps. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah, okay. All right. All right. No. <laughs> Number six rejected sport for the Winter Olympics happens to be competitive cuddling. It's, it's so cold. It's just... You, you know, it is, it is the right time of year for that, though. It I is. mean, yeah. And, and I don't know if it truly is going to be, but it was reported that this might be the coldest Olympics on record. That was one of the things what? that's probably going to happen. So. What? Cuddling is important. Wow. There you go. There you go. Who right, knew? There you go. <laughs> Number five rejected winter sport for the Olympics is bucking polar bears. <laughs> We got it here at our rodeo. That's right. We switch out the bull for, for the bear. bear. For the be bear. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I'd be okay with that. That's That'd be you fun. Hit the ground and the bear's That's right. Like, now you're mine. The claws come out. Just, you think a horn is bad? Yeah. Claw. No. All right, no, they're go. big. Right. They're big Number animals. Number four rejected winter uh, a sport for the Winter Olympics happens to be synchronized ice fishing. Just quiet. I'm not sure what they synchronized. It is just a little, They're just doing this. Maybe it's using the auger to kind of that's, start the that's hole true. in the beginning. Yeah. And yeah. Maybe it's synchronized sitting on the... On the bucket on the or bucket. the chair? I, I, I'm not sure what it is. But I mean, okay. 
There we go. <laughs> Beer. All right, here we go. Number three rejected winter sport happens to be thin ice skating. Thin ice skating. I think this would be awesome. Thin ice skating. They go up and do their little thing uh-huh. and just, they just sink. And it turns into swimming. Yes. Or, or flailing. Or flailing. <laughs> or lifeguard tossing their little red ring. I think that'd be great. That'd be hilarious. That'd make figure skating way better. That would, that would be right. okay. Here we go. Number two rejected winter sport is this. Icicle javelin throwing. You just get a, a just break off. Yeah. And just yeah, chuck and it. chuck it. That'd be awesome. Some of those get like huge. They I mean, do. massive. Have you ever seen that sports blooper, for lack of a better word, when they're doing summer Olympic javelin and that judge doesn't get out of the way and uh-huh. just impales him? Can you imagine that with an icicle? Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Get out of the way! And the number one rejected sport for this Olympics happens to be puppy curling. (laughs) You get them on their back and they're like this? Well, haven't you ever seen a dog try to walk on ice and they're like this? It's going down my 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 dog doesn't like to go outside when it's cold, so I don't know how this is going to work. <laughs> You're like, go, go. No, no, I'm nope. good, Dad. I'm good. <laughs> Poop it in the, the house toilet. today. <laughs> wow. Well, on that note, you should pray for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for tonight. We just thank you that uh, uh, you've gathered us all here to teach us. And, and uh, uh, God, that you love us unconditionally. Um, Lord, we just can't wait to see the words that you have for us in Luke and, and just uh, ask that you would continue to bless this journey and continue to, to uh, uh, rock our, our world and, and open our eyes through uh, the life of your son. So, God, uh, we wait for you to teach us, and it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Buckle up and hold on. At our church, we love God. Make no mistake about that. At our church, we believe in God's radical, unconditional, and unwavering love for us. At our church, we believe that Jesus is God. We also affirm that you may or may not believe that Jesus is God. And we're not asking you to change your belief system before you attend our church. We're simply inviting you on a journey toward Jesus. For years, churches have placed a high priority on Jesus as the get-out-of-hell-free card. At our church... We place the highest priority on Jesus as a live life to the fullest invitation. At our church, we believe every person has a dream deep inside their hearts and that God put that dream there, not for our glory, but for His. At our church, we're not concerned with where you've been, but where you're going. At our church, we believe that the Bible is God's Word. It is real. It is living. It is active. We believe that people who don't go to church anywhere are not the enemy. They are real people who need the perfect love that only God can give. And we believe that God gives this love through, of all people, us. At our church, we do not and we will not display a holier-than-thou attitude toward anyone. We are all broken people, but He is putting us back together. And finally, and most importantly... At our church, we believe that Jesus really lived, that he really died on the cross, and that he really rose again on the third day. And we cannot and we will not candy coat or water down that message, ever. Today, you've chosen to sit yourself in the middle of a very safe place to hear a potentially dangerous message. Welcome to our church. All right. All right. 
Well, welcome, 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 my friends. It is good to see you. Uh, thank you so much uh, for being here tonight. Uh, I, I know that it's an important night, a powerful night, uh, and, and so I just thank you uh, for being here. It just means so much. Uh, and, and I just want to take a moment. I just want to uh, tell you thank you. Uh, most of you know that uh, my father passed away last week, and uh, uh, my family and I just want to give a big thank you for uh, to all of you for um, your love and your support. Uh, I know that my dad was a big part of all of your lives as well, uh, and he's going to be dearly missed, not just uh, by us, but in this place as well. Uh, and as Ken said Monday at the funeral, uh, he said it just means we have to step up. Uh, and that's right. Uh, the best way for you to honor my dad is to live like him. Uh, and, th- and when it came to this place, he just loved on people. He went around and he was greeting people and he loved on everyone and he was encouraging people. Do that. Let his influence continue through you. Don't just come and plop your butt down in a chair and expect everyone to come and to greet you. You go and you greet them. Love on them, encourage them, invite people to come and to experience the Jesus my father so loved. Can we do that? Let's be a place that's just infectious uh, with our love and our acceptance and our support. Can we do that? Please? All right. Awesome. Awesome. Hey, if you are visiting uh, with us tonight, if this is your first night, my name is Todd. I'm one of the teaching elders uh, here at Waypoint. And we hope that you have been loved on. (laughs) We hope that you feel welcomed and that you feel right at home. And if you're joining us online, I know there's a few of you tonight. Welcome. We're so glad that you are with us as well. Tonight, my friends, we are going to continue this journey. We started a few months ago. Uh, That's what my dad uh, would have wanted us to do. So uh, we're going to do that. And tonight we're going to get into some great stuff, some very timely stuff uh, in in our life as a church. Uh, If you remember, we're calling this Adventure Breakthrough. Uh, It is the study of God breaking through into our world, breaking through into humanity, breaking through into our individual lives. And we're using on this adventure Luke's Gospel. I absolutely love Luke's gospel. I love the depth that he brings to the life and the the narrative of Jesus. Uh, Luke writes more New Testament than any other author. Luke meant, or Paul mentions that Luke is right by his side in at least three of his letters. All this from the only non-Jew to to write a book in in the New Testament. And so when Luke says that he's gathered all of the evidence, he has. When he has interviewed all of the eyewitnesses. He has. I mean, probably nobody has more impact on the early church than Luke. And Luke says that he gathers all of this information for you and for me in chapter one, verse four. He says he does that so that you and I can be confident that what we have been taught is the truth. And I think that's awesome. And I love that. So tonight we are going to begin in chapter four. So if you please go ahead and open your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter four. If you didn't bring your Bibles tonight, that's okay. We want to encourage you to always bring your Bibles. It is important to bring your own Bible to be able to highlight in it and make notes in it and and make it very personal so that you can relate to it later. Uh, But if you didn't bring that tonight, I want to encourage you. You got two options. You can either one, use one of the Bibles that we provided for you on those tables, those blue ones. uh, Or you can get on your smartphone if you have one of those. Download a little app called YouVersion. 
Once you have that, there's a place to search for live events. Just type in waypoints and it will find you <laughs> and you will find all, everything that you need for tonight. So first of all, if you're using a Bible, we're going to be on page 615. But I also want to ask you to open up your Bibles to another section in Scripture. In fact, I'm going to ask somebody for Bible so I can look up this page number for you really quick. Awesome. Thank you, Miss Bonnie. So we're not only going to be in Luke chapter four, but I want to go a little old school tonight. We're also going to be in the book of Isaiah. So if you turn to Isaiah chapter 43, that's where we're going to be as well tonight. So if you are using one of these blue Bibles, we're going to be on page 430. All right. So you got page 615 and page 430. So use a, a pen, a program, a piece of popcorn, something to mark both those spots. All right. Uh, so as you're turning there, uh, I want to remind you of last week. Last week when all of this stuff uh, happened uh, with dad, I called Justin to come on up uh, to the hospital. And after a few difficult uh, hours, we were leaving and I told him, uh, you're going to have to figure out church uh, for this next week. And and of course, he said, no problem. And then he said, do you have any ideas of what it is that, that we should watch or do or, or you know, what, what should we do for church? And I, I said, you have to play Erwin McManus's teaching called Battle Ready. And if you were here last week, you know how awesome it is. If you weren't, a couple of people applaud. Go ahead. You can applaud for it. It's an incredible teaching. If you did not watch it, please just get on YouTube and just search Battle Ready Erwin McManus and watch it because it isn't just a great message, but it is an important message. It's an important message with what we're processing through uh, through my dad's passing. But also it is so important because it sets up our passage so well as what we're going to look at tonight. If you remember from last week, Erwin took a passage out of the Old Testament. Uh, out of Judges chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, and it said this. These are the nations that the Lord left in the land to test those Israelites, catch it, who had, no, uh, had not experienced the wars of Canaan. He did this to teach warfare to the generations of the Israelites who had no experience in battle. If you remember, the Israelites have gone just from one leader to another, from, from Moses to Joshua, and they've seen God move on their behalf time and time again. And so they have memories of where God has come through and what God has done, but they did not know themselves personally what God can do. They didn't have stories of how God had been working in their lives. So they have stories of their ancestors, but they don't have personal stories. And it's so important that we have personal stories. One of the statements we say is that God doesn't have grandchildren. And what I mean by that is God has children, right? When you come to faith, you become a child of God. And you cannot have faith through someone else, right? There's no grandchildren. God only has children. And so we need to, as believers, have our own personal story. And so God leaves nations in the promised land to test these Israelites. To teach them about warfare. And that is still true for you and for me as well. God is going to do whatever he needs to do to teach us how to fight. So that we will have stories. See, most of us want a life where he fights every battle so we don't have to fight any. Where he removes all the obstacles, all the pain, all the difficulty. We, we want to live the life 
that where we don't have to exert any energy and yet win all the time. That kind of life that can just binge watch on Netflix, drinking Diet Coke, eating Doritos and still have a six pack ab. You know what I'm talking about? Right. One that is filled with comfort and yet I still win. Right. I still look good. Right. It doesn't work that way as we've all tried and it just doesn't work that way. God will never put you in a circumstance or in a situation where there is not a battle to fight or one coming over the next hill. He isn't going to do that. Even when you just got done winning a great battle, it's not the end of the story. In fact, the reward for winning a great battle is usually a greater battle. The reward for a great battle is now you know how strong you are and how powerful God really is. Those are the lessons. That's what we learn. You know how much he can accomplish in you and through you and around you. And with that, you no longer fear what you once used to fear because you took care of that yesterday. And so the generations that Judges is talking about has no battle experience. Everything has just come too easy for them. So you're never going to develop muscles without a fight. You're never going to develop the muscles required to fight the good fight if you don't have anything to fight. You will never develop the muscles to live a great life of faith without difficulty. You will never develop the courage to live a great life without the circumstances needed to live a great life. And that the people that you and I admire, that we just look up to, are that way because of the adversity that they faced. That made them the people that we admire. We look at them and they say, they're so great. Why are they so great? Because they fought the good fight and they finished the race. They are the people we admire because they rose above and through their circumstances. And it is sad that so many of us would rather just watch an extraordinary life than live one. Because when you live one, you have to go through difficult stuff. When you live one, you have to fight. When you live one, you have to struggle. My friends, you will never become who you were created to become without difficult times. Without hardship, without persecution, without suffering, without times in the wilderness, which is exactly where we're going to pick up the life of Jesus tonight. So let me ask you, who's ready to dive into God's word tonight? Everybody ready? Awesome. Awesome. Well, let's go ahead and let's silence these cell phones, guys, and let's come together as a family and... And let's pray. Let's come together as a family and just ask God to fill this place. All right. Precious Father, we come before you tonight. Thanking you, Jesus, that you are here. You tell us we're two or more gathered. You are here. So we praise you for that and we thank you for that. But Father, we don't want to just come and, and have a good time among friends. We want to come and have a supernatural, personal encounter with our Savior. We want to be blown away by who you are and who we are in you. We want to pray, Lord God, that you would fill this place and that you would speak directly to our hearts and our minds, that you would just transform us and make us more and more like you. So, Father, we pray that you just fill this place and fill our lives. And Father, we also want to just take a moment and acknowledge that we have an enemy who does not want us to hear from you tonight, who will do whatever he can to distract us. And so we claim the authority in which you have given us. We use the authority in which you have earned. 
And we declare Satan, you and all of your demonic forces, you must flee in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. By the power and the authority of Jesus, you must get out of here. And we declare this holy ground. And we ask that heaven and earth would collide here. Right now, Lord. As we meet with you. Lord, we love you and it's in your precious and holy name that we pray and all of God's people said. Amen. 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 All right. So let's go ahead and dive right into chapter four. And I know there's probably somebody out there who's like, no, 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 no. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Didn't we end on chapter three, verse 22? Isn't there some verses left? Uh, Okay, good. I knew there'd be at least one. Okay, guys, if you remember, we covered all of those verses before Christmas. As we just kind of led up to the story of Jesus, we covered those earlier. So we're not going to cover them again. All right. We're just going to go right into chapter four. So if you didn't catch that one, get on our website. It's on there. All right. So uh, here we go. Chapter four, verses one and two. And it says this. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the spirit in the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. And Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. Stop. Let's reread that. Okay. Make sure that you get it all. Then Jesus, right, right after he got done baptizing, right? Or being baptized, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River where he was led by the Spirit in the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. And Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. What? Now, wait a minute. We've got to just talk about that. He goes from leaving the Jordan River, this big spiritual high moment where he goes out into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan for 40 days. Look at the way that Luke records this event. Chapter one, verse 12, he says the spirit then compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness Now, when Mark and the rest of the New Testament writers write the New Testament, they write it in the Greek language. And the word that we translate as compelled, the original word is exbalo in the Greek. And it means to expel with violence. Jesus is forced. It is a very strong word. And Jesus is forced by God into the wilderness. It is so important that you and I understand this. We got Jesus, who is God, being forced by the Holy Spirit, who is also God, (laughs) into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan, who is not God, by the way. Why? So Jesus can learn to fight. God is preparing him for the battle ahead. And if Jesus needs to learn this, then so do we. If Jesus is not spared from the wilderness, neither are we. Now, let's flip over to Isaiah chapter 43. And let me set up the story. The Israelites have this crazy, crazy uh, story uh, where they're constantly being taken over by other countries. (laughs) These invading armies just come, whoop them all, kill people, put them in slavery. It's, it's, It's a chaotic mess. Uh, And the first half of the book of Isaiah, they're ruled by the Assyrians. The second half of the book of Isaiah, they're ruled by the Babylonians. Uh, And so as a people group, as a Jewish people, they're struggling. They are just overwhelmed. They are hopeless. They are lost. They have been believing that God had abandoned them. Uh, And and so uh, let me just ask if you've ever been in that moment of life when life is so hard. When your life has just been turned upside down, 
you found yourself in a darkness that was completely unexpected. A place where the darkness seems to be triumphing over your soul. And you wonder if this is the proof of the absence of God. Then you know where the Israelites are at emotionally, mentally, spiritually, because that's where they're at. Where are you, God? Why are you allowing this to happen? Did you abandon us? Are you mad at us? And this is God's response to the prophet Isaiah. And he says this. But now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, the one who formed you says, do not be afraid. For I have ransomed you. I have called you by your name and you are mine. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fires of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you for I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt as a ransom for your freedom. I gave Ethiopia and and Seba in your place. Others were given in exchange for you. I traded their lives for you, yours, because you are precious to me. You are honored and I love you. Do not be afraid for I am with you. I will gather you and your children from the east and the west. And I will say to the north and the south, bring my sons and daughters back to Israel. From the distant corners of the earth, bring all who claim me as their God, for I have made them for my glory. It was I who created them. Bring out the people who have eyes but are blind, who have ears but are deaf. Gather the nations together. Assemble the peoples of the world. Which of their idols has ever foretold such things? Which can predict what happens tomorrow? Where is the witness of such predictions? Who can verify that they spoke the truth? But you are my witnesses, O Israel, says the Lord. You are my servants. You have been chosen to know me, believe me, and understand that I alone am God. There's no other God. There has never been. There will never be. I, yes, I am the Lord, and there is no other Savior. First, I predict your rescue that I saved you and proclaimed it to the world. No sovereign God has ever done this. You are my witnesses that I am the only God, says the Lord. From eternity to eternity, I am God. And no one can snatch anyone out of my hand. No one can undo what I have done. Let's just stop there. Wow. Wow. I mean, talk about the world's greatest win one for the Gipper speech, right? I mean, he is just fired up. Uh, He's just bringing it. He's just filling them with hope and encouragement. I, I hope that you felt that as we're just going. I mean, the Israelites are in a process of getting their butt kicked, man. They're in overwhelming difficulties. They're sad. They're broken. They're wondering, did I do something wrong? Did God abandon me? Is he angry with me? You ever been there? I just, I just, I just want to know if my people are here. Okay, excellent. Right? Yeah. They're so overwhelmed by their situation, by sadness. And you see, this is where everything comes together. Throughout the scriptures, we see this consistent theme of God allowing his people to be in extremely hard, difficult situations. And in many times, it's not even God allowing them as much as it is God leading them. Or even in Jesus's case, God forcing them into difficult situations. And when God does this, we go kicking and screaming and whining and complaining. But the truth is, we need hard situations. 
We have to have these situations because it is these type of difficult situations that define who we are. I love how God comes and responds to them right from the beginning. He's like, I formed you. I created you. You, you are mine, right? These are expressions of love. I, I created you. I'm not going to leave you now, right? I, I created you. I love you. I loved you so much. I created you. You're my kids. There's no way I'm going to leave you, right? Your heart hurt is my hurt. I mean, this is intimacy. And then he says, do not be afraid. Do not fear. Now, you only tell someone, do not be afraid when they're terrified. You don't go up to somebody who's perfectly calm and say, do not be afraid. They're like, I wasn't, but thank you, right? I wasn't. Who do we tell? Now, just, just calm, you know, peace, stop freaking out, right? Do not be afraid. Who do we tell that to? People who are freaking out. That means there's plenty of things that should be causing them to freak out. There's plenty of difficulty going on in their life. And what we need to understand, guys, is the greatest opportunities usually come as the scariest of moments. The scariest of situations. The situations where we are absolutely terrified. It is in those moments that you are facing a situation that is bigger than you. It is in that moment when the walls begin moving in and you feel like Luke and the trash compactor being squeezed to death. And that little monster comes and just grabs your leg and pulls you under, right? It's in those moments. Did my Star Wars fans leave? Or are you still in the... Okay, all right. I just, I'm just checking, right? It's in those moments where you are wounded and scarred and know more wounds and scars are coming. It's in those moments that God is speaking to you and says... Do not be afraid. Do not fear. See, you need to understand that Satan has two primary tactics that he uses all the time, and they are discouragement and fear. We understand fear. Discouragement is the woe is me. I can't move forward. Right? You know, we we just have no hope for the future. Discouragement and fear. This is when God says, I have called you. You're mine. I have summoned you. See, we've got to understand that when difficulty arises in our lives, when those difficult times come in our lives, it's not God abandoning you. It is God calling you out. Come on. You can do this. Let me show you. God is saying, I, can't, I, I haven't abandoned you. I'm calling you to a place that you cannot go in comfort. I'm calling you to become a person that you will never become without discomfort. I am calling you out. I'm calling you out of your comfort and into your identity. That's what it's about. See, but we get this all jacked up. Let's be honest, right? Satan comes in, begins jacking in your ear, filling us with the lies that tell us, see, this difficulty, this hard time is evidence that God is abandoning you. This is evidence that God is punishing you. This is evidence that God hates you. This is evidence that God doesn't even exist. When it is completely the opposite. Difficult times are God saying, follow me. Trust me. Come out of that and into this. Let me show you how strong you really are. Let me show you how much I truly love you. Let me show you how much I can do in your life. 
And then in this passage in Isaiah, God says, when you go through deep waters, when you go through the rivers of difficulty, when you walk into the fires, guys, you've got to understand it is when, not if. It's huge. It's very, very different. We've got to understand they are coming. God knows that difficult times are coming, not if they will come. See, we've got this crazy idea in our head that if we think that if we've entrusted our lives to God, then we'll have no when. That we think if we follow God with our life, that we'll be filled with comfort and ease and security and success. And we will soar like eagles, as we love to say. But God uses the word when, not if. When you step into deep waters, when the river tries to pull you away, when you are walking through the fire. See, faith does not reduce uncertainty. Faith embraces uncertainty. Faith is the courage to step into the raging waters. Faith is the courage to step into the burning flames. Saying, you are with me, God. I am not going to be afraid. No matter how crazy the situation may look, no matter how difficult it is, you are with me, therefore I go. And that's what it's about. By the way, did you happen to notice in a reading of Luke when Satan came to him? After 40 days of fasting. Jesus is in his weakest moment as a human in that incarnation. And the attacks come. He is broken. He is weak. That's when the difficulty comes. And this is another truth. Because difficulty does not come when you are strong and ready. It comes when you are broken and weak. Why? Because we can only be shaped into something new when our old self has been broken down. I mean, just think about it. If you want to shape metal, if you want to pour it into some sort of design, do you do it when it is a solid piece of metal? No. You got to heat it up and make it a liquid and then you can form it into something new. When a potter wants to make some form of new pottery, does, does he take some pottery that's already formed and hard? No, he's got to take it when it is soft and then he adds water to it and he beats on it and he makes it pliable and he just he does all of that stuff. He needs to throw in an elbow, whatever he needs to do to make it soft and then he can shape it and he can mold it. But don't be worried. When you were in those moments when you were being formed and he's pounding on you on the, on, on, on the potter's wheel or you're being liquid by the fire, don't worry because when we're weak, we're really strong. Notice God's promise here in Isaiah. You will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. You will not drowned. I am God. I am your savior. God is not promising us a lack of difficulty. He's not promising us the lack of conflict. He's actually telling that's coming. <laughs> it, it's coming your way. But what he's promising is I won't leave you and the situation won't win. Those are important promises, guys. Remember Satan's tactics, discouragement and fear. That's what causes us to pull back and not step into the water, not step into the flame, not follow God. And God's like, come. He's calling us out. Step out of your fear. Step out of your discouragement and into the water. That situation, that struggle, that problem, it's not bigger than our God. 
It's not bigger than his plans for us. So don't let discouragement get in the way. Don't let fear get in the way. Not only is God right there as he promised, but he's powerful enough to make sure that situation never overpowers us. Guys, Satan's not going to win. Sin is not going to win. Death is not going to win. Evil is not going to win. It says, I am God. I am your savior. And for 40 days, Satan just comes at Jesus with all of his temptations, just comes whooping him. And we're going to walk through every single one of those. It's going to take us like four weeks to get through 14 verses. It's okay. All right. And the whole time, Jesus just has his eyes focused on God. And he withstands it all. I, I love the way that Paul writes this in Corinthians. He says this, the temptations in your life are no different than others experience. Pause, small rabbit trail. What's the one thing Satan tries to convince you of with his discouragement? Uh, when you're in the middle of hard stuff, nobody can relate. You have bigger troubles than anybody else on the planet. Woe is me. That's his discouragement. That's what it's coming. Paul's like, now look it. Your temptations are no different than other people experience. He says, and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. And when you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. Notice it doesn't say so that you can escape. Doesn't say that. So that you can endure. Now, I got to be honest. This scripture has been used and abused over years, for four years, by people who are suggesting that God is not going to give you the hard stuff. Oh, yes, he is. He is going to move you into the hard stuff. He's going to move you into things that you believe you cannot do. He's going to move you into stuff that is beyond your ability. He's going to move you into stuff that is beyond your intelligence, beyond your bank account, beyond your strength, because he knows what he's doing. He is right there. And he knows that you are way stronger than you think you are. He knows it. He knows how strong you really are. He knows who he created you to be and he is right there and he is shaping you or reshaping you and he is building you and he is forming you and he is going to use the raging waters and he is going to use the burning flames. God is saying, I am calling you out through the stuff. It's going to be a journey. It's going to be hard, but I am with you. It's going to be tough, but that's not an absence of my love. It's actually a confirmation of my love because I have such good stuff to teach you. I have such good stuff to show you stuff that you will never see. You will never experience. You will never become in comfort and in safety. You can never embrace it in shelter. There are floods and fires ahead. Be aware. And just as you are aware, also know that they are not going to consume you. God is actually going to use those to build you. When those moments hit in life, God, the, guys, those, those moments you don't see coming. Those moments that are so hard. Those moments when you hurt so bad. It is easy to ask why. Why, God? Why did this happen? Why him? Why her? Why now? Now, I, I don't know specifically why in your life in that moment, but ultimately, all of the whys boil down to two. 
The answer to that question of why boils down to two reasons. And the first one is your identity. And the second is his victory. I want to unpack those. See, God is going to teach you how to fight. How to fight for yourself and how to fight for others. So let's talk about that. See, you will never become who you are meant to become without testing, without trials, without temptation. It's just not going to happen. You have to be forged by the fire. And stepping into your identity requires you to step into a battle. That's just the way that it is. That's the way that it works. See, we will never grow in comfort. Not going to happen. Growth only comes when we're challenged. It only comes when we're stepping into the raging water, when we're stepping into the blazing fire. It is in those moments that our faith and our character and our identity are built. It is in those moments. Remember how we began in in Judges. It is in those moments that we don't just have stories of God doing stuff in the past. We have stories, personal stories of what God is doing in our life right now. Personal stories of God showing up. God performing miracles, God giving us peace, God moving mountains. This is where our stories are shaped. Our stories are written. It is in the midst of these that you and I become who we were created to become. Our faith and God's presence working in tandem to create our identity in him. And when God is calling you out, he's calling you into something new. He's calling you into something you could never do on your own to become the person only he can make you. Remember what he said in Isaiah? You are my servants. I have chosen you to know me. Believe I am your Lord. I'm your savior. Believe me. I can only become who I was meant to become as I step in faith. As I take what Jesus says. And I believe it. And I apply it to my life. What God says becomes a reality. I follow it. I build my life on it. I trust it. That is when I become my best possible self. That's when I become more like Jesus. Doing the holy thing is easy. When life is easy. Doing the holy thing is not easy when life is not easy. See, the truest test of whether or not I believe something comes when it is hard. When it requires me to sacrifice. When it calls me to die to my selfish desires. See, my friends, one of the things we say a lot around here is spiritual maturity grows as we make choices based upon our beliefs and our convictions, not our emotions and our feelings. And when we are in hard times, man, can our emotions and our feelings word vomit over everybody. And we tell everybody what we think. And you can go take a hike and you over there, you can do that, right? And we just go off. And what happens? We make a bigger mess. That's all it does. Shut up, right? We're just making a bigger mess. But in those moments where we say, this is what I'm going to do, not because I want to, not because I feel like it, but because that's what my conviction is. 
That's what the Word of God says. That's what my beliefs are. If you want to know a person's true heart, it is revealed when life gets hard. If you want to know what a person's true faith is, it's revealed when life is hard. If you want to know what someone truly believes about Jesus, watch how they respond to adversity. When your life gets difficult, your character will shine through. And sometimes it does not shine very brightly. (laughs) But sometimes it's a wonderful shining. What character do you reveal to the world when you don't get your own way? What words do you choose to use? See, it's easy to be loving when you're happy. It's easy to be patient when you're at peace. It's easy to be forgiving when nobody's hurt you. It's easy to be kind when you're not stressed out. All these become a whole lot more difficult when you're hurting, when you're overwhelmed, when you're stressed out. When we hurt, we just simply want everyone else to hurt, right? Feel my pain, right? It's what we want. So God will lead you into moments. He will lead you into situations that are really, really hard. So you learn to fight for holiness. You learn to fight for what is right, to fight for him, to fight for his ways. And when you do that, you become more and more like him. See, you're going to face tests and temptations. But you have to choose holiness. That's growth. That's character. That's Christ. It forges inside of you a strength of heart and, as he said in Corinthians, endurance. God is calling you to a difficult time, to situations. And it's his way of saying there is something I want to teach you, so you need to step into this fire. And it's in that moment that you discover your true strength, a strength you've never known before. And you will also discover that God is everything he has ever promised. He will not let you down. He will not abandon you. He will not give up on you. He is right there. God is not your enemy. He is not mad at you. He is not punishing you. Everything you are going through ultimately is an expression of his deepest love for you. And every time you step into a new story, you are in the process of growth. He's calling you out. Trust and step in faith. Now, my friends, we... Stand. You, I, this community, at an important moment in time. A defining moment. We've had many defining moments in our community. That defining moment of that first night at Ames Corporate Building as we met for the very first time wondering if anybody was going to show up. That defining moment when we signed our very first lease on our first building. That defining moment when we chose to serve meals open to the public. That defining moment when we chose to begin a recovery ministry in Tower 21. That defining moment when one of our founding members was arrested on what we still believe were false charges and sent to prison. That defining moment when our landlords tripled our rent and we became homeless as a church. That defining moment when we took on remodeling the armory, which was well beyond our pocketbook and our ability. And now we stand at the defining moment of losing my dad. And his leadership and his love and his example as one of the pillars of our community. And every time we have faced a defining moment, an important moment, we have questions that run through our head. How can we go on? Who are we now? 
How do we move forward? Where is God taking us? And I've already heard the phrase, it's just not going to be the same without Ron. And you're right. It won't be the same, but it can be better. It can be. That's your choice. How do you respond in the situation that is in front of us? What do you do with it? Because men like my dad and women like my mom have created an incredible foundation for us. But this foundation is not built simply to hold the ground we have taken for the kingdom, but to advance and take more ground. It is time to remember what God has done, but it should fuel our belief in what God will do. We can't just hold on to the memories of the stories of God coming through. That generation has stories. But we are the generation that must discover and find our own stories of God coming through. And for 14 years, people have been fighting battles, not just for themselves, but they have been fighting battles for you. To create a place that we call waypoints, where people are loved and served, where they're told about Jesus, where they're shown Jesus, where they're encouraged in their walk with Jesus. But it does not stop here. It continues. And with your help, it builds momentum. It's how we grow as a people. It's how we honor my dad. It's how we advance the kingdom. See, the second reason why you and I face difficult times is for his victory. In Isaiah, God says, you are my witnesses. Testing and temptations are opportunities where we can defeat Satan's activity, not just in our lives, but in the lives of the people around us. People are watching. They want to know if your faith is real. They want to know if Jesus is real. And in difficult, heartbreaking situations, they are there for you and I to rise above, to have faith, to have trust, to continue to fight through, to advance his kingdom in our lives and in the lives around us. See, people need to know, can they endure the fire? Will God continue to do his thing in your life? People want to know, is there a God who loves me? People want to know, is there hope? See, when God calls you out, he's calling other people in. We got to get in the fight of making this world a better place. And I know that God wants to do more than we could ever ask. He wants to blow our socks off. And so I don't want to waste this moment. I know we are all here and we're heavy hearted and we're going to miss dad. And I'm going to grieve and mom's going to grieve and we're all going to grieve as a community. Once again, we're so thankful for your love and your support. However, this moment is so much more important than just us. It is in this moment that you and I decide our future. It's where you and I decide who are we going to be. It is where you and I decide how we, what sort of impact we're going to have here. And I need you to join me into the future. To step into this moment and, and realize that every day is precious. That every day is a gift. And we need to seize that day. There are things that God wants to do in our life. Allow dad's life to be a call to action. I don't want to waste this moment. We got to take it and advance with it to answer the call, to be inspired by those who came before us and the experiences they had with God, but to inspire us to have our own experiences and our own stories of God. See, I know that God wants to do great things here. And there's nothing more important than that. I know that each of us have great and important things going on in our lives. I know it. 
We all got our own story. We all got our own stuff going on. But let me remind you that nothing is more important than the gospel. The gospel is our most important endeavor in life. And you and I are in situations that we are in order to fight for other people. Now, my friends, if you were here last Monday, you know this place was packed. We set up 250 chairs and it was standing room only. Three, three people deep in the balcony. And I'm proud of that. Because there should have been that many people here. Because my dad was a great man and he had that much influence. And all of those people decided because of one man's influence that regardless of what was happening, I need to be here to honor his influence in my life. And I had people from Texas and Nebraska. Are you going to live stream the funeral? I mean, there were people that were like, I got to go. And they filled this place because of one man's influence. But I have to ask you guys, why isn't this place filled that full for Jesus every Tuesday and every Friday? It's a hard question. Why isn't it? Why aren't you and I talking about adding a third service to so many stinking people here? Why aren't people just beating down the doors to get in here? Why isn't our YouTube channel trending worldwide and going nuts? Why don't you and I have dozens of small groups going on every week? You know that there are over 100,000 people here in the city of Greeley, and most of them do not know Jesus. They don't know about the life-changing, hope-giving, sin-forgiving, love-altering truth of Jesus Christ. So what are you doing about it? Not what am I doing about it. What are you doing about it? Does it break your heart that there are thousands of people who are dying and going straight to hell? Aren't you bothered by that? And if you are bothered by that, then why aren't you doing something about it? My friends, you are passionate people. I watch your social media accounts. I'm telling you, it is entertaining, right? And I got to tell you guys, you are passionate. Don't let anybody talk smack about your football team, whoever that team may be. Because you're passionate and you're sharing it and you're all sorts of happy. Don't let anybody disagree with you with your politics because you're passionate about those. And you're posting stuff and you're sharing stuff and you're getting in fights with people around the world over your political ideology. Let me ask you, why aren't we that passionate about Jesus? Why aren't we that fired up about the fact that God stepped into the human story to rescue us? See, we're pretty darn passionate about the things of the world. And we post and we share and, hey, did you see this trailer? And did you do that? And did you see this? And did you? How many people have we asked, do you know Jesus? See, our job is to tell people about Jesus. And if we don't call them... They will never know him. How do you put it? You're my proof. You're my witnesses. If you don't do it, nobody else is going to do it. Let us be the voice of what is the most important thing, the gospel. 
We have to light the way for those who are lost in their darkness. And it's up to us to do that. Waypoints is for changing lives with the gospel. My friends, we're not just supposed to come here and receive. We're supposed to be here to give. We aren't just supposed to be here to, uh, to be taught. We're here to also teach. We aren't just here to be loved. We're also here to love. We aren't just here to be served. We're also here to serve. We aren't just here to receive the gospel. We're here to share the gospel. We aren't just here to be changing our own lives. We're here to help other people change their lives. We're not here to be some holy huddle in a safe place. We're supposed to be storming the gates of hell with the dangerous message of Jesus Christ. That's what we're supposed to be doing. And honestly, it's time for you to answer the call. To rise up and not let your life be defined by your situations, but to allow your life to be defined by your Savior. To take it upon yourself to reach out and to love people, to, to live the gospel freely and openly and to invite people to Jesus. See, there comes a day when every single one of us has to choose to get out from the safety provided by others and take their spot on the front line. To pick up the fight for yourself and provide safety for someone else. See, God will only do great things when you believe him and step into the raging water and step into the burning flame. My deepest desire is for Greeley and generations from now, Greeley, that they would know that Waypoints was filled with people who were willing to fight for them, who were willing to love them, that we are a church that loves so much. We're willing to step into the raging water and the burning flame just to let them know that there's a God who desperately loves them. And I got to be honest, through all last week, I never asked God why. Because he told me there'd be a when. And instead, the question that we have to ask is what? What do you want us to do with this? Where do you want us to go? What do you want us to step into? What do you want to do through us? And the answer I keep getting is fight. Fight for more than you were. Okay, God, if that is the story you're taking us through, then take us through whatever you got to do so that our lives will impact the most lives possible. Help us so that we can help others live the life you created them to live. So here's what we're going to do with the rest of our time tonight. We're going to do ashes for Ash Wednesday, which is tomorrow. Tomorrow, Lent begins. Lent is that 40 days before Easter where we remember the 40 days of Jesus in the wilderness being tempted. No accident that we're here in the timeline. We're going to put ashes on your forehead if you choose, and they're going to be in the shape of the cross. People say, why are you doing that? First of all, ashes are a biblical symbol of mourning. They're a biblical symbol of repentance. It represents a desire to change, to sacrifice, to ask for forgiveness, to remember our own sinfulness in which Jesus died for. The ashes are put in the shape of a cross to help you and I remember and to focus that forgiveness comes through the cross. But also in the Bible, a mark on a forehead was a symbol of ownership. And by having their foreheads marked, our foreheads marked with the sign of a cross, we're symbolizing that we belong to Jesus. Now, tomorrow, we also begin 
our daily devotionals. I'll post a video in the morning on all of our platforms. And I want to encourage you. It gives the instructions, but I'll give it to you again. So if you're doing the devotional book, you start reading tomorrow. If you're going to watch the videos, which I encourage, I'll post them once a week. I'll post them on Wednesdays. You don't have to watch it on Wednesday. You watch it on whatever you want, whatever day you want. You'll take one day off a week. So there's six devotionals per week taking a Sabbath. Okay. Now, guys, I want to encourage you. Here's the hard ask. This is what I want you to do. I want you to ask God, who does he want you to invite to your house? Because here's what I want. I, I want to encourage you guys to ask your friends and your neighbors and your co-workers and your family. This is about prayer. People love to talk about prayer. They love to talk about it. They got questions about it. Invite them to your house once a week and watch this video. The videos are 15, 20 minutes. Watch those videos, and then in the workbook, there's a bunch of group discussion questions. Say, so what do you guys think? And engage in the people in your life. Engage with them in conversation. And then invite them to church. Invite them to find a devotional book themselves. Read it every single day. So you've got to understand that many people will come to your house before they'll come to your church. Be the gospel, be the hands and the feet of Jesus. Invite people to your house. Use this as an opportunity to spread the gospel, to get into the fight for other people. So here's the questions I have for you. Do you have the courage to be on the front lines fighting for freedom for someone else? Do you have the faith to believe that God's going to do big things and do those big things through you? Will you be a witness to God's witness? See, my friends, help us create a future that can only be explained by the presence of Jesus. To prove to this city and the people in it that Jesus is who he says he is. My friends, we have not yet begun to fight. First 14 years of waypoints, it's just the opening act. It is time to step forward. But the future of this church is in your hands. It's not in mine. It's in yours. It starts with you. And I know beyond a doubt that the future, our future, is way better than our past. And I know that this can and should and will be our greatest year yet. And the question is, are you ready? And are you willing? So let's pray. And as we do, I'm going to ask Brian and Monty to come on up with uh, the bowls of... Uh, Ashes, worship team, maybe if you want to go first, you're more than welcome to do that. Uh, would you all please just stand with me as we come together in prayer? So Brian and Monty be up here, one on each, and they're going to say this. They're going to say, pick up your cross, or uh, let's, let's do it this way. Die to yourself and follow Jesus. Okay, Brian and Monty? Die to yourself and follow Jesus. Okay? So as we are done praying, the worship team's going to begin music. I want to encourage you. You don't have to. No one's going to be at the end of service going, you don't have stuff on your forehead. All right? Just feel free to come on up and feel free to share in communion and feel free to use the altar. All right? But let's come and let's worship. 
Heavenly Father, we come before you thanking you. Thanking you for my dad. And the example that he set for us. To love you and to love others. It's not a person in this room who is a part of our family as waypoints who is not affected by his love. Now, may we take that and infect others with that love to pass that on. And Father, we know all that we loved about dad came because of his love for you. And may we be that in love with Jesus and that in love with people that when it comes to be our time to go home to you, it is standing room only in tribute to the life that we have lived in your name. Father, we love you. We dedicate ourselves to you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray and all of God's people said.